a heart-wrenching COVID warning. And I hope that it scares the heck out of people. My husband did die of COVID. A father of two leaves a shattered family behind with too many unanswered questions. No more pop-up clinics. There was a guy from Fraser Health said, oh, nothing is happening. It's all fake news. The communication breakdown that left many waiting in line. I absolutely apologize to people for, for the miscommunication. And Granville Island gets a bailout. Without those funds, I don't know how it would make it. The surprise support package hidden in the federal budget. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with a story of just how cruel COVID-19 can be. A Tawasan woman who lost her young, healthy husband to the virus is sharing her family's heartbreaking encounter with the disease. And as Samad Agahi reports, she has a warning to anyone who still thinks COVID is an older person's disease. He poured everything. He poured everything into being a father. From all the memories they've shared. Who would have known these tragic, haunting moments would be the last? I just said, okay, good night. Ahmad, that's the only night that I didn't say I love you. It's the only night. I've said I love you every single night prior to that. It's the only night I didn't say I love you because I thought I would have the very next day. Her husband, 46-year-old Reed Hans, who was diagnosed with COVID-19 10 days prior, had a fever, a cough. It was more comfortable for him to sleep on the couch that night. And that's where he would struggle to take his last breath. I went over just to say good morning. And then I put my hand on his arm. That's when I put my hand on his arm. It was cold. And then when I tried to move his arm, I couldn't move his arm. So then I was like shaking him. I'm a Reed, wake up, Reed, wake up. And it wasn't until I moved his eyelids back and then I saw that he was unresponsive, so then I called 911. <laughs> what happened next was a blur, she says, until it was time to speak to her children. I said, okay, I have something to tell you about dad. And, you know, right away, I don't know who was it that said it, but he said, is he dead? And I said, yes. You know, my older one, he's 10. And he just, he, he just collapsed. And he just starts crying. And I think my eight-year-old... He was sad, but I don't think he knew what to do. And he started crying because his brother was crying. And so I said, boys, do you want to come over and do you want to say goodbye? You know, it's not scary. Daddy just looks like he's sleeping. And they both said yes. I said, okay. So I walk them over and he's still there lying peacefully. And they come in and my little guy comes over and he's just like, bye, dad. I love you. Like, that was it. Like, just that was okay. My older one, and if I'd known he was going to reach out, I would have stopped it. But, like, I didn't know what he was going to do. And he went over and he touched him to say goodbye. And then his, his hand reached back because, of course, he's cold and just he's not moving. And now I just, like, I don't know. Like, I just, I don't know. Like, I gave them the right to say goodbye. And I don't know if that was the right thing to do. And They had called the province's hotline. But because he did not feel tightness in his chest, Reed Hans did not go to the hospital on the night of April 14th. I'm getting there. Why didn't he go to the hospital sooner? Why didn't I take him here? Why didn't I do this? I didn't know. I worked with the symptoms that he had and what he was telling me. I don't think anybody knows 
the real true symptoms of COVID, especially with the variant. Two, three. A healthy man. Hans was active, happy, and there was nothing more he loved than spending time with his family. COVID does not discriminate. It's not just the elderly and the sick and the weak. My husband is only 46 years old. So everybody out there, you think that you're invincible? You're not. Well, while COVID-19 cases in BC are going down slightly, hospitals in our province are feeling the strain more than ever. We have 853 new cases in our province, bringing our total to well over 128,000. One person has died from COVID-19 in the last day. 503 people are now in hospital. That is a drop of 12 patients. However, there has been an increase in BC ICUs with a record 178 people now receiving critical care. There are close to 8,000 active cases in the province with 11,628 people in self-isolation. So far, more than 1.7 million doses of vaccine have been administered in BC. More than 43,000 of those doses administered yesterday. Well, for a third straight day, long lineups quickly appeared outside of Fraser Health's pop-up vaccination clinics full of people eager to get their shot. But two of the clinics didn't happen, and only 600 doses were available at another location. As Jordan Armstrong reports, the criticism is growing as the organization and messaging around these clinics remains very much a work in progress. Good morning, everybody. I just want to inform you that there's no pop-up injection site at Newton Athletic Park today. What do you think of, all of this situation? Honestly, I think it's not a good idea at all. Just basically leaving it up to people to like fight for the vaccines and the Hunger Games style scenario. It's not cool. Surrey citizens were queued up at Bear Creek and Newton Athletic Parks as early as 4 a.m. for a poke that would never come. It's not organized well. There should have been some sort of notice or a booking system, maybe. This lineup is not good. Like, I have to just stay here for five hours. Not since the free salt giveaway of four years ago has Metro Vancouver seen such a disorganized distribution. So I'm not sure where the people that have gathered here today got their information from. This time, no pushing or shoving. But like the salt, it was a mystery when or if vaccine would arrive. Fueling the confusion were text and online rumors and the lack of communication from public officials. There were probably a thousand people. A thousand? Yeah, there was, the liner was all the way down there. At the height of the chaos, Global News contacted Fraser Health, who directed us to the health ministry, who pointed us back to Fraser Health. Despite long lines, the health authority would neither confirm nor deny the existence of pop-up clinics. It was city workers and Surrey RCMP who told everyone to go home. If they were going to be here, they would already be set up. They would have a tent. At noon, the head of Fraser Health surfaced by phone to apologize and reveal no more pop-up clinics are planned. An hour later, the province's top doctor said this. I absolutely apologize to people for, for the miscommunications and for the confusion. Um, that was certainly not the intent. Now, not everyone in Surrey left disappointed. Ticket care card, three. In Cloverdale, the last legitimate pop-up clinic, at least for now, vaccines given to 600 lucky people issued not golden, but orange tickets. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. 
Well, for anyone who spent hours in line hoping for a shot, the breakdown in communications and organization was both obvious and frustrating. Richard Zussman takes a look at how the system failed, who is taking responsibility, and what it might mean for future pop-up clinics and other vaccination efforts. Why is the premier not using the vaccine registry that people were told to use? Pop up, pile up. Ticket care cards. The concerns from the lines here in Surrey being brought here to the floor of the BC legislature. Take the words of Pavan Dhaliwal from Surrey, and I quote, is this real life? The goal from government was to target pop-ups in high areas of COVID-19 transmission without having to register or make an appointment. In the end, more than 6,000 people got the pop-up jab, but beyond that, a failure. These pop-up clinics have not been successful because they've undermined confidence in the process while immunizing a lot of people in critical neighborhoods. Suddenly, we have chaos emerging where people who are able to get to the lineup get vaccinated. The big part of chaos was around who got the vaccine. Right now, 10 of the 13 regions with the highest COVID transmission are in Fraser Health. But still, people from outside those areas came to get the shot, and some not eligible by age got it as well. I think very small percentage, uh, 3% that were under the age of 30. If you don't live in Newton, don't go to the clinic in Newton. It's designed for that community. The focus now shifting back to the age-based program. A big push is on registering and then ensuring people are notified when to book. And that notification is expected to be fast-tracked, with the shipment of the Pfizer vaccine expected to jump from 136,000 doses this week to 272,000 doses next week and every other week after that in May. Go get registered, and as things speed up in the next few weeks, it will, it will go down in age very quickly. The pop-up's not much help for the province's priority workers, so now a promise from Dr. Bonnie Henry. If you are a school staff, a childcare worker, a first responder across BC, and you want a vaccine, you will get the jab by the middle of May. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. With many British Columbians still waiting for their COVID shots, there's hope that help could be coming from neighboring U.S. states. Today it was announced that even more Manitobans can get their vaccinations in North Dakota. And talks are underway to see if similar arrangements can be made here with Washington State. Catherine Urquhart has the story. Canada and the United States share a unique relationship, one that now includes cross-border vaccinations in some parts of the country. BC's provincial health officer acknowledges there have been conversations about that being a possibility here. I have been in contact regularly with my colleagues in Region 10, it's called, so Alaska, uh, Washington State, Oregon, uh, Montana, and uh, and Idaho. And we uh, we meet regularly and we do have discussions about this. Manitoba truckers have been getting vaccinated in North Dakota after a deal was struck between that province and U.S. officials. The program is even being expanded. I'm also really pleased to say today that we have agreement with North Dakota and the federal government to expand our essential workers cross-border vaccination initiative to include teachers and education workers. Also, Alaska shared vaccines with people in Stewart, B.C. 
The fire chief in Point Roberts is proposing a cross-border vaccination effort that would allow dual citizens and Canadians with homes in Point Roberts to get a shot. They would come to a location just over the border and uh, go through a vaccine event. They would never get out of their vehicle. So far, Dr. Bonnie Henry is not dismissing some type of arrangement. Point Roberts as well, there's been some discussions about uh, um, access to vaccine. That's another community where we have um, arrangements so that people can uh, go to school, for example. The idea of cross-border vaccinations may be on the agenda during upcoming conversations between the province and Washington State, leading to possibly another chapter in our unique relationship with the United States. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. We are expecting to find out more tomorrow about how the province's travel restrictions will be enforced. This, as we learn more tonight about BC's COVID-19 hotspots. For more, let's bring in our Keith Baldry. Keith, what can you tell us? Yeah, every uh, Wednesday, every midweek, the Center for Disease Control updates the municipal COVID-19 map. So and, uh, we can basically figure out where COVID is the most and where it's been the last two weeks. Take a look at this. This is the top 10 hotspots in B.C. No surprise, Surrey there on the left by, has by far the most cases in the last two weeks. Vancouver uh, almost close behind. And then pretty well every other municipality in Metro Vancouver is where COVID has been rampaging the most the last two weeks. Now, this uh, again comes on on the, uh, on the eve of travel restrictions being announced tomorrow in terms of details and enforcement. One thing Dr. Bonnie Henry said today is basically, this is an example, people in Metro Vancouver, do not go to small towns. You're in a place where there's a lot of COVID, small towns and their small hospitals can be overwhelmed as too much COVID comes into their communities. Here's Dr. Henry saying, don't travel. So for people in the Fraser and Vancouver coastal health regions, I'm asking you to pay particular attention. Our hospitals in these regions are feeling the strain more than ever. And hospitals in smaller communities don't have the capacity to carry any additional burden right now. Communities, especially smaller communities with limited healthcare services, are asking for your support by staying away for now. So the enforcement of those travel restrictions will be unveiled tomorrow morning by Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth. Look for him to say that these are not 24-7 road checks. Uh, they're going to be up to the RCMP to determine how to deploy their resources. They're going to be on highways leading from Metro Vancouver into the interior. They're going to keep a close watch on the Sea to Sky Highway to see what kind of traveling is going there. That's at 10 a.m. tomorrow. We'll be carrying that live on CKNW and BC One. All right. We'll look forward then. Thank you very much, Keith. And now to B.C.'s other health crisis, which is just as tragic, if not more so. Nearly 500 people a day have died, sorry, 500 people have died of illicit drug overdose in the first three months of 2021. The province announcing today 158 people died of an overdose in March, bringing the total to 498 since the year began. That's an average of about five people losing their lives to an overdose each day last month. In a statement, the province says the drug supply continues to be volatile and even more toxic. 
Burnaby RCMP are looking for the public's help as they investigate a head-on crash that has left two people with life-threatening injuries. It happened just after three Wednesday afternoon on Canada Way, just north of Imperial. A man and a woman in the sedan were critically injured. Another man in the car is in hospital with serious injuries. A woman in the pickup was not badly hurt and is said to be cooperating with police. RCMP are looking for dash cam video of the crash and would like to speak with anyone who saw what happened. A man is facing charges for a terrifying incident in a downtown Vancouver apartment. Police say a 19-year-old woman was asleep in her suite at Howe and Drake just after midnight on Sunday when a man she did not know awakened her by grabbing her by the wrist. She screamed and ran out of the bedroom and her roommate called police. When officers arrived, the 20-year-old suspect was still lying in the bed. He resisted arrest and a taser was used. The suite was not accessible from the ground, and it's not clear how he gained entry. He's now facing charges of break and enter and assault. Police say mental health may have been a factor. Well, Granville Island has suffered since the COVID pandemic began. Some stores and artisans have already gone out of business, unaware there was a surprise $20 million bailout package included in the recent federal budget. How that money will help, next on the News Hour. A 91-year-old songwriter proving it's never too late to create his ode to the city he loves later on the news hour. And what a baby's first poop can tell us about health later in life. Don't worry, there will be no accompanying video. Uh, Yes. In the meantime, Granville Island merchants who have struggled throughout the pandemic are getting a lifeline from the feds. Some businesses were forced to close over the past year, while others are just hanging on. But as Ted Trenecki reports, this latest cash infusion will help keep the island alive through the summer. One of Granville Island's landmark restaurants, Edible Canada, is shuttered. The owner deciding to sell and let someone else struggle through the pandemic. A Mexican restaurant will take over in June. For an arts and culture center that relies heavily on tourism, COVID has been particularly worrisome, even with $16 million in federal money to subsidize rents last year. Not everyone was able to survive. We did lose three tenants and um, they made the decision. Their lease was up, but they decided not to continue on. That's just in the kids' market, and without more federal money this year, things were looking dire. It was a terrible stressor for all of the businesses here, and we got together and we talked about it, and we all agreed that most of us would not renew our leases, we would go month to month, and we would probably close if we didn't get that kind of help. In the latest federal budget, because no one expects tourism to return in any significant way this summer, there is $22 million specifically mentioned for Granville Island. That's welcome news to everyone, and especially for the owners of Beau Macaron, who had the unenviable bad luck of expanding operations, not knowing COVID was just days away. There was no backing up. We signed March 1st. Two weeks later, we shut down all the stores. They spent that time doing a lot of the renovations themselves, and today have a thriving school where you can learn how to make macaron. So even within a pandemic, businesses are finding a way. Like many merchants, Beau Macaron offers online sales, and locals have stepped in where international tourists once stood. The strategy to survive here, though, is ever-changing. Like come Saturday, free parking is gone. Apparently, people figured it out, parked here, 
and went elsewhere. It has helped some of the small businesses, but now it's defeated the purpose in having people come and park here and not spend any time on the island. Much of the 22 million will go towards long overdue infrastructure upgrades, a job usually paid for by merchants. And the rent relief will continue. No one knows how long some merchants can survive without those coveted tourists. Ted Chernay, Global News. Up next, the bailout that could be good for a lot of jilted travelers. Air Transat gets 700 million from the feds. What you should know before you try to get a refund for canceled flights. And the insane golf record that required two drivers. Traffic is steady over here in both directions tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Keep in mind, though, overnight lane closures because of maintenance from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. Still driving around on winter tires? Drive into Mr. Lou for same-day tire changes. No appointment needed. 15 lower mainland locations. Find one near you at MrLube.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. If your Air Transat trip was cancelled because of the pandemic over the last year, you can finally apply to get your money back. Passenger refunds are just one of the conditions attached to a $700 million government aid package for the ailing carrier. Here's Andrew and now with what you should know if you're out of pocket for a cancelled flight. Anne? Thanks, Chris. Air Transit is one of the largest tour operators in Canada. When the pandemic hit, it cancelled thousands of flights. And instead of refunding money to passengers, Transit gave them travel vouchers for future flights. As you can imagine, this policy angered many passengers, leading to a political outcry. Thanks to today's aid package, if you booked a trip to start after February 1st of last year and the flight was cancelled, you can now get your money back. You are eligible for a refund if you did not transfer your travel credit, nor was it transferred to you. You did not submit a claim to your insurance company, and your booking is not subject to an active chargeback claim. nor has it already been refunded to your credit card provider. Again, this impacts Air Transit customers whose departure was scheduled for February 1st, 2020 or later, and the booking was made before April 29th of this year. Those who have a travel credit must submit their refund request to Air Transit by August 26, 2021. If you do not submit your request by that date, you will not get your refund. So the number of refunds that we've done uh, have been into the thousands. And there's a lot of very happy customers that need these monies right now and that are getting them. So we're very excited because the travel agencies across Canada were not sitting with this money. It was all sitting with the suppliers. Now, processing a refund could take up to three months. If you originally booked with a travel agency or third party, you are asked to get them to submit a request on your behalf. For more information, go to the Air Transit website. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, Anne, thank you very much. Up next, India's COVID crisis worsens. People desperate for help as record infections sweep the country. Also coming up tonight, a 91-year-old lifelong tradesman discovers his inner songwriting skills. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC, brought to you in part by the BCTF, our kids and their teachers worth investing in. 
Good evening. Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel, seeing minimal delays north and south on Highway 99 through the tunnel, but much like the Alex Fraser Bridge, overnight lane closures for maintenance. Save time, shop online with Save on Foods, then swing by for free curbside pickup or have it delivered to your door. Shop faster, shop easier in the Save on Foods app. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Beyond a crisis, that's how one ICU specialist in New Delhi describes what he's seeing in his own hospital. India recorded the highest single-day death toll since the start of the pandemic, and sadly, tomorrow is likely to bring more of the same. As Crystal Gamansing reports, donated supplies are arriving, but the need for oxygen, beds, and people to care for the sick and dying is colossal. A warning, some of the images in this story are disturbing. People are begging for help, going from hospital to hospital, searching for relief. But hospitals are not only running out of supplies, but space. We are beyond our capacity in the ICU, as you can see. We have put in beds and stretchers between beds. We have run out of ventilators. We are using anesthesia machines to ventilate patients. In the span of 24 hours, more than 379,000 new infections were logged in India. And 3,645 people died. The deadliest day so far in the pandemic and those were just the cases registered. Every single day I hear my friends, family uh, getting infected and people losing their, my, you know, numbers and names now. Pratima Singh's younger sister tested positive, an added stressor for Singh as she works to organize Red Cross efforts on the ground. Efforts Canada contributed $10 million to support. Currently, they are ensuring, uh, you know, working closely with the local administration, working in ambulance services and blood services, first aid, oxygen supplies, and critical medical care wherever needed. And that's just it. The need is immense. India is the second most populous nation on the globe, and the virus is raging with three known variants in circulation. And many people are staying at home, afraid to go out. Others have no choice. Crystal Gamansing, Global News, London. Well, we gave you a heads up about this story earlier, and here's your next warning. This story about an important discovery by BC researchers deals with baby poo. Rest assured, we will spare you any actual visuals. UBC scientists have determined that a baby's first bowel movement, which is a dark green or even black substance known as meconium, can determine whether a child will dis develop allergies in their first year of life. They say meconium reveals what the baby was exposed to before it was born through molecules encountered by the mother and accumulated in the womb. The fewer molecules the greater risk of developing allergies. Infants that develop allergies early on are more likely to develop uh, allergies or asthma later in life. So it's estimated that as much as 30% of the world population is suffering from allergies and asthma right now. And so what we want to do is identify infants that are at risk for that as early as possible. 
The researchers say if at-risk children are identified in the first year of life, they could benefit from early intervention to boost their immune system and help them avoid developing allergies. A potentially groundbreaking treatment not available in Canada might be the best hope for a young woman battling stage 4 breast cancer. She is taking part in a trial of TIL therapy in the U.S. and is working to make it accessible to others here, too. Su Ling Go reports. After graduating from nursing school, Shayla Wishloff's dream career was starting to take off. She and her boyfriend were looking for a house. She says her life was falling into place until it fell apart. It's like a dark tunnel or you don't see light. Like there's no getting out of it. You're, you're in a prison cell and there's no way out. In 2019, at 24 years old, Shayla was diagnosed with stage 2 breast cancer. She had chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery to remove both breasts. But it wasn't enough. The cancer spread to her lymph nodes and lungs. So that made me stage 4 breast cancer. I was told I had a year to live and um, that there was nothing in Canada for me. Triple negative breast cancer is aggressive. Shayla went to Texas for a treatment plan, but the drugs didn't work. Now she's going back to the U.S. for TIL therapy. It's pretty innovative. It's cutting technology. It's the newest stuff out there. Um, And I'm putting all my hope into it. The clinical trial involves removing part of her lung tumor to isolate the immune cells that best recognize the tumor. Those are multiplied in a lab, then returned to the body to attack the cancer. The treatment and travel will cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. But Shayla says Canadians with metastatic breast cancer have few options. I think more needs to be done. We shouldn't have to be flying over to the states paying these costs. It's not fair. She's become an advocate for women on her Pink Cancer Girl Instagram. Her family says this registered nurse has always put others before herself. Being the caregiver that she is, she still worries about how it affects us. And we're constantly trying to tell her, hey, Shayla, that's not your burden to carry. I think the hardest part of everything is watching them suffer because of me or be upset. Sulingo, Global News. Up ahead, a marathon friendship. We do it because we love it and because we love each other. The bond that has them sprinting toward the finish line for those battling cancer. And a dog owner makes the right call when his puppy takes a tumble on the North Shore. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Another dramatic rescue on Vancouver's North Shore today, but not for a person. It was a four legged friend. District of North Vancouver firefighters were dispatched late this morning to the Capilano Canyon to rescue a small dog. It had tumbled about 30 meters down to the waterline, just south of the pipeline bridge. Due to the steep terrain, a full technical rescue was needed to bring the pooch back up to be reunited with its human. It was a little spooked by the whole thing, but otherwise appeared to be okay. It's a technical rescue. The vertical environment is dangerous, and uh, we treat these rescues the same if it's a human or a a dog. Um, So it took eight firefighters to safely do this rescue. 
Firefighters say if you ever find yourself in a similar situation where your pet is in danger, don't try to do the rescue yourself, but call for help. Let the experts do it. Call the professionals. Always good advice. And it's why we're bringing in Kasia right now for a look at the uh, weather forecast. Well, you know, I'm, I'm reaching for a theme here, sun dogs. Oh, yeah. Well, it's more of a sun halo. But we'll call it a sundog for now. All right. So a lot of us saw this across Metro Vancouver, or the south coast, I should say. Today, we had a thin veil of cirrus clouds allowing this to uh, appear. Michael Weir took this downtown. It was seen in Langley as well by Brad. And I, too, couldn't help myself. I get, got in on the action. This is a double sundog. Aww. My own Betty made her TV debut today under the sun halo. Okay. A very proud moment. It was a warm day across the southern interior today. A, a pretty nice one under those uh, overcast skies. Whereas in Prince Rupert, it was cooler than seasonal, 10 degrees, and it's been coming down the rain. We continue to have this rainfall warning in effect. By tomorrow morning, we will have picked up 50 millimeters of rain. And speaking of which, the rain's pushing into the south coast as well. The chance goes up skyrockets really uh, late this evening through the overnight it rains then the chance goes down for precipitation tomorrow afternoon we clear out and there is a slight chance of precipitation on Saturday tomorrow morning it should still be raining late afternoon we clear out 17 will be our daytime high here's your future radar as it all unfolds rain for tomorrow morning also southern interior and central interior sections could see that rain there's even a potential for thunderstorms tomorrow afternoon I'll show you who has that chance and even Saturday morning morning still could see some precipitation. So here is your tomorrow across the north. Anywhere smithers across the central interior has the potential for thunderstorms. It's going to be an unsettled one over here. Over here across the southern interior, potential for scattered showers as well. 17 in Kelowna and along the south coast. Rain to start the day, then clearing late in the afternoon. And here's your long range from Metro Vancouver. Looking good for the weekend. Your Centra Windows weather window is brought to us by John Buswood. He calls this the last of the pink snow on the ground cherry blossoms we say goodbye <laughs> looks pretty cool down there yeah i just right. want to take a blower to that yeah <laughs> or a broom or something all right yeah. thanks kasha well it's been said when the going gets tough the tough get going that's right two friends in victoria have taken that saying to heart lacing up their running shoes to face a pair of devastating medical diagnoses and raising money for a great cause despite the added challenges that come from the pandemic Kylie Stanton has their story. There's a saying, walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Understand their experiences, thought processes, and challenges. Ready? Let's go. All right. Well, these two have decided to run instead. 26.2 miles to be exact. So we're doing a marathon, which is 42.29. is sufficient. But Lise Barube and Grace Lore are no strangers to putting themselves to the test. In May of last year, when Barube was fresh off five rounds of radiation to attack the stage four cancer in her breast, brain, her heart, and those hardworking lungs, she conquered her first marathon. If I don't do it now, I'm pretty aware there might not be a chance. And Lore had her back every step of the way, right to the finish line. But a lot has changed since then. Barube's health has stabilized while Lore ran for office and won. Elected MLA for Victoria Beacon Hill last fall. But in February, she announced she was taking a step back. This time, it was her family facing a health crisis. We found a tumor in my four-year-old son's brain, and, and so uh, life threw a curveball. 
Asher's medical team believes his tumor, while in a bad spot, is treatable. But it's been a lot to process. Through all the consults, tests and appointments, running has been a constant. And now it's Barube who has Laura's back. When challenges like these are presented, um, it's just that opportunity to to keep going and to step it up and just do more because of it. For these two, that includes this upcoming marathon, now just a little more than a week away. We're ready to rock. Yeah. The pair is raising money for the Kalanish Society, a small Vancouver-based nonprofit that supports people living and dying from cancer. So far, more than $150,000 has been raised. We're so excited. I think everyone's been kind of blown away by the amount of money we've raised. But what's more impressive is that given the circumstances, these two aren't giving up. Instead, approaching this marathon like they approach any challenge that's thrown at them. It's a metaphor for all of us right now. You know, things will get better and then they will get worse and they will continue to ebb and flow and change and that's just part of life. And it's always a little easier to keep pace with someone by your side. We were tough when we did this last year. Uh, We're tougher still this year. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. You can say that again. Wow. Well, a golfer in England has set a world record that gives new meaning to the term drive for show. Money, 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 Paul. It's money, Paul. Marcus Armitage hasn't cracked the PGA yet, but he recently made sports history when he landed a golf ball into a moving car 303 yards away. (laughs) The previous world record was 273 yards. Armitage also owes a lot of the record to the man behind the wheel, driver Paul O'Neill. Could two guys be more excited about a golf shot? I don't know. No kidding. Who buys the round at the clubhouse, though? Yeah, that's right. All right, Squire. Not the driver. The golfer would have to, I guess. Yeah, but the driver... Both people were great in that, but the driver was, like, dead on perfect. Mm -hmm. That went right in the passenger seat. Uh, Former Kelowna Rocket, Cole Lynn. Got his first NHL game tonight with the Canucks in Toronto. Putting him in because I, I feel like he can help us win. Now he was taken in the second round of the 2017 draft. He has worked his way into finally getting his big chance. And the joy of music. At 91 years old, a transplant from back east writes a love song for his adopted hometown. All right, time for sports. Squire, take it away. Thank you very much, Sophie. The uh, Canucks looked very tired against Ottawa yesterday afternoon, and they didn't get a lot of rest because they're playing right now in Toronto. Now, they have beaten the Maple Leafs four straight times, but those games are all at Rogers Arena. Here's a weird stat. The Canucks haven't won in Toronto since 2011 when they were a Stanley Cup finalist. There's Cole Lynn, former Kelowna Rocket, his first NHL game. And there's former Canuck Ben Hutton, who's now a Maple Leaf. And this is Alex Edler getting beat on by Wayne Simmons for that knee on Zach Hyman the last time Edler played against the Leafs. So didn't matter if he apologized or got a suspension. They still wanted some frontier justice on Alex Edler, who's not a fighter. He's a big man, but he's not a fighter, as you can see. There's the first goal, William Nylander. one nothing in the first period for the Leafs. Then this is an example of how tired the Canucks are. Watch Nils Hoaglander. Just got nothing. Back-checking on Austin Matthews, and it's 2 nothing. 
That's early in the second. This is kind of the same second period start they had in Ottawa yesterday. There's a third goal, Pierre Engvall. Then uh, Toronto finally gets beaten, this time on the power play. David Riddich, who was horrible the last time he played the Canucks, doesn't look good here either. Basically knocks this JT Miller shot in his own net. It would have gone across the net, but he puts it in, and that's the way it is late in the third period. Toronto leads 3-1. to one. Uh, Sunday, the Whitecaps face Colorado. The game is on AM 730. It starts with the pregame show at 6. Now, Vancouver coach Mark DeSantos yesterday on this show tried to curb everyone's enthusiasm about the Whitecaps' unbeaten start, but his players are very enthusiastic about the way they have begun 2021. This will be Gutierrez on the left foot with the ball in towards Rose, and the Whitecaps lead it! The Whitecaps feel their strong start is no accident. Really, for the first time under Mark DeSantos, the team is under solid footing. Even though they're missing a handful of regulars due to injuries and visa issues, they've still got a win and a draw in their first two matches. The other two years when we started off, it's kind of been from scratch, and... and this year, it's like, okay, we just take off from, from where we ended. And um, I think you really see a team out there. And I think that's what a lot of uh, people are seeing and people around the league are noticing is that it's a team, it's a group that's that's getting better. Um, each game we go on and, and we're going to go and fight together. That fight starts in training where the competition to get game minutes is also fierce. Everyone has to be, you know, 110% every day, and that's that's what you want in our group because it's going to get the best out of each player and then ultimately the best out of um, the Vancouver Whitecaps. So, um, you know, we're all working to get on the field. We're working to uh, to help the team get to, get to the goals that we've set. Maybe just as important, there's a team-first attitude. It's a long season. They'll need everybody sooner or later, so everyone's time will come to contribute. If someone's playing ahead of you at the moment, you know, there's no... There's no egos there in terms of, you know, wishing bad things. It's always, you know, the best for the team. And I think that's that's very important for, for a successful team and for a successful um, season. Well, no surprise in the NFL draft tonight. Jacksonville takes quarterback Trevor Lawrence of Clemson. The first three players taken were quarterbacks. The Jets went with Zach Wilson from BYU as the uh, second pick overall. So he's their new hope at quarterback now that they gave up on Sam Darnold. And the 49ers surprised everybody. They knew they'd take a quarterback, but not a lot of people thought they'd take Trey Lance of North Dakota State, who only played one game last season because of COVID. But he is now the 49ers quarterback of the future. And there you go. All right, Squire, thanks very much. Jay Durant is standing by for a look ahead to the news at 11. Jay? Thanks very much, Chris. A COVID-19 outbreak has been declared at the Site C project. BC Hydro says there are currently 13 active cases with 100 workers now in isolation. The province is looking to send vaccine to help manage the outbreak. And tomorrow's the deadline to have the Strathcona 10 city encampment removed. We'll hear from Pivot Legal Society who are giving the strategy to clear the park a failing grade. Those stories coming up tonight at 11. Thank you, Jay. Up next, a 91-year-old man finds his true calling as a songwriter. His tribute to Vancouver coming up. 91-year-old Jack Roach has always loved Vancouver, even when he was living somewhere else. Now he's written a love song about his favorite city, and as Linda Aylesworth reports, that's just part of his inspirational story. Things bring Jack Roach more joy than a good song. This one in particular. 
He is here. I can make it anywhere. Well, I figure I made it here. The house is worth too many bucks, so I figure I made it here. Here is Vancouver, where home since November has been St. John Hospice. Over the last 91 years, Jack has lived in many places, but Vancouver has always been special. Why? The weather, of course. But was there anything else? Well, I met my wife here. Yeah, that's enough to like the town. Every springtime when he was back east or up north in the cold, he'd remember Vancouver and the cherry blossoms. Jack has long wanted to express his feelings about this city and music, but he was a tradesman, not a songwriter, until... I'm lying there in the bed one night. There, and they come out. I'm back, I'm back, I'm back to the city that I love. It's true. And so it was that the lyrics finally came to him. Vancouver, Vancouver, I'm back to my city by the sea. Back to the city by the sea With its great parks and high mountains with their Of course, composing the melody was another matter. That's where music therapist Joshua Denny Keyes comes in. And he said, well, you're the professional, so you do it. Um, he did make one note. He said he wanted it to have, I am back, I am back in it. I am back, I am back. This is where I'm meant to be. There, there's this misconception that palliative care or hospice care, it's the end. And in many ways, it, it's the start of the final chapter. The warm and loving St. John 